dismiss our young ones to go to Children's Church. I'm going to say my word of welcome to you today for joining us in worship. And for those of you that are guests with us, hope you've been greeted warmly today. Just a couple of announcements I want to share with you, though, before I continue. And that is, we have a stack of these on the back table. There's our newlyweds right here today. Yeah, wave, that's all right, good. We're so glad, we're so happy for you. There's 500 of these on the table in the front. Everybody needs to take a handful and give them to all your family and friends. This is for Vacation Bible School, which is in two weeks, and also for a leadership camp that we're doing uh, the week following. So you would help us a lot if you could help us distribute these. Uh, what doesn't leave the church in your hands today, we'll have to figure out how to walk the streets in the 95-degree heat to put them in somebody's hands. So if you don't take them today, I'll be calling you. About 2 o'clock one afternoon, we'll all get together and we'll go. Because that's about the only time you can find somebody at home that'll answer their door. So uh, anyway, that's an important thing, but also as important. is next Sunday when we leave here, uh, you come straight to our house. And uh, we're going to have... Uh, fellowship there. Um, our swimming pool has never looked prettier, so you better come now um, and enjoy it. We'll have uh, some hot dogs and hamburgers and whatever you want to bring. Patsy and I will be providing drinks and some other things. I don't mean, you know what I mean. Y'all not listening to me this morning. I can tell already. Anyway, that's important. Third thing that's very important is that you notice the, the blood mobile out front. Uh, today we are uh, doing a little mini blood drive to help fill their coffers through the summer months. And uh, they need 12 units of blood today. So um, if we don't get but eight, then just feel free to go right on back through and give another. We'll have our 12. Holy frioli. $25 online, Amazon, 25 So, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you may also, uh, if they're taking direct donations for him, you're able to do that. You're able to do that today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, what this helps do also, if any of you ever wound up in the hospital and needing blood, you say, well, we're from South Walker Baptist Church, and you get your blood. So it's very important. Uh, to serve the community in this way, to serve one another in this way, and to serve people that are literally on the cusp 
and, uh, and need blood. So don't, don't just ignore it today. Um, let it be an expression of who you are in Christ. Um, there's all sorts of ways to do that, you see. And we're going to talk about some of that this morning. If you'd like, you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Um, beginning with verse 2, this is the passage about the transfiguration. And you may have heard this story if you've been in church, um, you know, maybe since you were a kid or, or beyond that. It's a really important passage because it follows this moment where uh, the disciples declare that Jesus is the Christ. And he declares, I'm glad you realized that. I've got to go die for you and be raised again. And they don't like that. And uh, there's some pushback there. And then Jesus says, listen, if, if anybody wants to follow me, you're going to wind up in the same trajectory, the same path that I'm on. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up a cross, meaning to take up a life of suffering and dis-ease on my behalf. And, and you're going to follow me. Wherever I go, you go. And that's a very demanding response that Jesus gives to to those that are surrounding him that want to be in the presence of the Messiah. And so he's, he's having to, to redefine that for them. And this passage that we're in right now helps do that, not only for his disciples to, to redefine and to clarify, but also it's providing him with, uh, with some power. And so we are able to join him in that. And then we're going to look at the passage immediately beyond that where uh, that doesn't come natural for us. But yet Jesus is still there with us. He never, for the, he never forsakes us. He never leaves us. And he is constantly preparing us to do and to be good disciples. That's what his whole life was about. He establishes that on the cross and in his resurrection. But then everything else that he is revealed to us and shown us is to make us good at what we do and who we are. And so every day we get to look in the mirror and decide, am I that? And we're going to look at some of that too. A lot to look at today. So I'm going to go through this piece by piece and hopefully we'll see some things new together today. So it said, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. But they didn't stay alone long. <laughs> it says he was transfigured in front of them. Meaning that Jesus took on a whole appearance that they had never seen him take before. Something of the glory of God, it says, because his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could have whitened them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses. And they were talking to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, since they were terrified. Now, since they were terrified is an important part of this that I want us to really pay attention to today, because it sets, it sets the, the table for everything else we're going to talk about. Can you imagine being these three guys? Jesus says, come on. We're going to go off to be alone by ourselves, just the four of us. And they get up on a mountain, and the next thing that they know, the lawgiver and the great prophet is there with them, and they're shining in the glory of God. Now think for a minute. You're a good Hebrew boy. 
You're a good Hebrew man. You've grown up since you were a little kid in the synagogue listening to scriptures and have people talk about the scriptures. Wised men in your community that knew more about it than you could ever know. And everything you've ever heard since you were a little child describes not this scene that's happening here. If you go back over to Exodus, and you don't have to go. I'm going to share it with you so you're not looking everywhere this morning. But in chapter 19 in Exodus, they all wind up at Mount Sinai, and they're going to meet God there. And listen, God lays out some rules for them. He says, I'm going to come down in a cloud. He said, but don't let anybody get close to this mountain. Don't even let them touch it, because if they do, you've got to kill them. They can't be near my glory. I'm going to come down in a cloud to hide it, but they can't even be near it. If they touch the mountain, you've got to kill them. I'm not going to kill them. You're going to kill them. You're going to take stones and stone them, and you're going to take arrows and shoot them, because I don't even want you to touch them after they've touched the mountain. Pretty scary to know that if you're going to be in the presence of God and, and, and you're not the one chosen to be there, then these things can happen. It goes on. He gets over here and um, in verse, in chapter 29, I mean chapter 33. Well, there's a previous spot in there where God is telling them that you can't, that they're afraid after God speaks the commandments to Moses. They said, please, we believe everything that you say about this, but don't let God speak to us. What were they afraid of? Because if God speaks to us, we're going to die. And then finally in verse 33, there's Moses. And, and Moses asks, he says, Lord, um, in chapter 33, um, in verse 18, it says, Moses says, uh, please, let me see your glory. Moses is asking to see the very thing that everybody else is afraid of because if they see it or if, or if the voice emanates from it, they're going to die. And so he says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live the Lord said, here is a place near me. And he stood him up in the rock. You know, we all know about the cleft of the rock. And God puts his hand over and he passes by. And Moses is able to see his back. Which is more than any of us could handle. He comes down glowing and he has to wear a veil. And all this stuff goes on after that. Okay. But God made a way for him not to die. But he didn't see all of his glory. This is what Peter, James, and John know about being in the presence of God. And then yet here they were. Now, before chapter 33 of Exodus, there's this great lengthy detail about building a tabernacle. Do you remember that? Where God says, I'm going to set up a tabernacle among you. And he gives instructions for right to every detail. And he says, that's going to be the place where... I will settle down upon, and that's where you're going to be able to meet me and not die. Right? So here's Peter. <laughs> Anybody feel like Peter today? Here's Peter, and he says, Lord, it's good we're here today. 
uh, not knowing what to say. He says, I think what we ought to do is build three tabernacles. One so the glory of God that is around Elijah doesn't cause us to die. The glory of God that's around Moses doesn't cause us to die. And certainly the glory of God that is around you doesn't cause us to die. And he's saying all of this because he's scared to death of what might happen. He's got no way of building three tabernacles for anything. He's just scared to death of what's going to happen. And all at once, what does God do in this? God opens his mouth. He says, a cloud appeared, overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So now they've seen God and they've heard his voice. But what happens? They look up. The cloud's gone. The glory's gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. And yet who's here? Jesus. And it says this God is saying and he does say over and over again to us. If you're looking for a way to meet me, to see the glory of who I am, and to hear my voice, there's my son, listen to him. If you're looking for a tent to dwell in so that you can be with me, there's my son, dwell in him. You know why I believe this is true? One of the reasons why I believe this is true is because John writes about it later when he writes his gospel. He says, you know, What does he say about it? The Word became flesh and pitched his tent with us, dwelt among us, tabernacled with us. That's a game changer for you if you want God in your life. Jesus is the game changer for you if you want God active in your life, where you want the presence of God bathing your life, if you want to hear His words clearly and distinctly and to obey them and follow them. Jesus is the game changer. But if you don't care about what God is doing in your life, if you don't care about what God is trying to do in the world, Jesus doesn't matter diddly squat to you. But if you do care, And if that is something that your life longs for, then there's no other place to look. There's no other voice to hear. There's no other life in which to reside than with Jesus. All my life I've heard people say, there's a God-shaped hole and you want to have it filled with the truth of who God is. Well, you know, we live in a world today where most people aren't, they don't buy that story anymore. They don't know if there's a God-shaped hole in their life or not. And they're not looking for Jesus. So those of us that are in this room that do a care for the affairs of God in our life and in the world, we need to take Jesus to be the utmost in our life. It's something that we've got to relearn as believers. I want you to look yourself in the mirror as we go through the next part of this because uh, they come down the mountain. And the first thing that I think is on Peter's mind here is, hey, the scribes say that Elijah has to come first 
before the Son of Man. And I'm thinking that Peter's thinking, hey, we just saw Elijah, and so now everything we've been taught about the coming of the Son of Man is about to become true. Okay, so they're coming down the mountain. He ordered them to tell no one what they had, uh, what they had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And they kept this word to themselves, questioning what, what does rising from the dead mean? He's already mentioned this. Well, one very openly and one very veiled. But they're not figuring it out. Surely, Elijah's come now. Everything that's going to happen in regard to what Malachi says, that the Lord's coming, the Lord of what? In Malachi, it's the Lord of the armies. The conquering Messiah is coming. He's about to get all this straight. And they're kind of asking this question about Elijah to get it straight in their mind. What we're about to see now is the conquering Messiah come going to set some things right and they get to have a front row seat <laughs> then they said to him why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first Elijah does come first and restores all things he replied why then is it written that the son of man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt but I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it was written about him. John the Baptist came as the Elijah that was written about, the one that would prepare the way, the one that would make straight, the one that would open the people's eyes again to what it meant to repent, mean to leave that old life behind, and to open their life up to the possibility that God had come near and was going to be a part of their life. Yes, Jesus said, that's true. It's already been fulfilled. He says, but then why does it say that the Son of Man must suffer? Because the Son of Man must suffer. So get it out of your heads that this is going to be some easy ride for us, that you're just going to believe in me, and that's going to take care of all the problems. No, you can believe in me, but I still have to suffer. And he goes on. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes disputing them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Can you imagine what's going on here now? <laughs> you can read a little further, but the rest of the nine disciples that were at the bottom of the mountain, they're having to deal with a real, a real crisis here. A man has brought their son to him. And this son is, uh, has an evil spirit in him. And he keeps causing convulsions and tries to throw the boy in the fire. And all these different things are happening. And they bring the boy to the disciples to be healed. But they can't do it. And this, so this argument breaks out amongst them and the, and the Pharisees that are there. And I can imagine what this is going on about. Um, man, there's a lot of things that they can say. See, we told you if you're unceremonially clean, you can't do these things. See, this guy, he's, he's, not, he's not following the law, so his son is, is suffering because of his problem. And all this legalistic and moralistic stuff, I'm sure, is being bantered about. And here they are, caught up in the argument that exists between the Pharisees and really who Jesus is. And Jesus' response is, how much longer do I have to do this? How much longer do I have to be with this generation, this unbelieving generation? 
Now let me pick this apart just a little bit for you. Because they get to the end of this, Jesus does indeed heal the boy. He doesn't do it in the midst of a crowd. They're all away from the crowd. He sees the crowd coming and he works hurriedly to bring this boy some relief so it doesn't become a spectacle. And when it's all over, they go into a house there where they were. And they say, why couldn't we do that? What does Jesus say at the end of this? He says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. You can be in the presence of Jesus all you want. You can believe that he's the Messiah. But all of that is to open the door to who? To God the Father. These poor guys that were trying to heal this boy, they couldn't even get in the batter's box to take a swing at what was going on. I want to use that analogy for just a minute. I was uh, watching some baseball this week and was talking about college baseball and how this one kid had worked and worked and worked to change the swing of his bat so that he could be a better hitter. And he had, this year, I don't know if you know anything about baseball, but his, his batting average had come up about 120 points. He was a 240-something. He was batting, batting way over 330. And they were just talking on and on about how this kid in, improved himself that much in, in one year. And, uh, and they asked one of the commentators, said, well, how much time do you get to work on your swing? He said, well, with a coach, you get 20 hours during the summer. That's all you get. He said, but he knew for a fact that this kid had put in a lot of work and that he had spent over 200 hours on his own working on his swing so that he could, he could be a better hitter. Now, to me, that's remarkable. This kid wanted to be a great hitter. And there he was in the World Series, College World Series, and he was a great hitter for his team. Still is. They play in a day. If you're going to be a great hitter with Jesus, you've got to put in some time for prayer. I read an article this week that said that most of you in this room will average out about seven to nine minutes of Bible reading in a week and your prayer time's less than that. You know what Jesus is telling these guys? Because you didn't pray, you couldn't do this. And where did you find yourself? Wrapped up in a bunch of arguments with a bunch of people that all they want to do is destroy who you are, discredit who you are, discredit who I am. And that sounds a lot like the church today to me. You're just caught up in the midst of all this stuff and you don't know what to do next and you're kind of flapping around, don't know, waiting for Jesus to do something. And Jesus is saying, the problems that you're facing in life require a lot of prayer. And you can't just get by with a little bit of prayer. Jesus was constantly in prayer. But we want to address issues today and we don't want to take the time first to do the very thing that is necessary and that is to pray. You know what prayer does? We, man, we're, we're going to do a prayer boot camp later. And we, we got all these ways of praying. And it's good. It creates a discipline of prayer. But you know what prayer actually does for us? It opens us up to the love of God, active and alive. God is love. What else is it going to open us up to? 
but to his love. So this, this person, this boy that's in this, in this bad shape in this story, never had access to the love of God until the great prayer comes and offers healing to him because he lives in a constant state of communal and prayer with the Father, that being Jesus. All the disciples needed to do was understand everything that Jesus does, does because he's in, he's in communion with the Father and the Father shares his love for everyone through him and all that he accomplishes is because of the love of the Father. For God so the world that he is only... It was because of his love. The reason why we're not sure we love people the way we should is because we don't pray enough. Because if we prayed enough, God would show you exactly how he wants to love that person through you. You think you're hindered by things in your life. Oh, I'm not, I can't do this. I don't know this. I don't have the abilities to do that. You are lying to yourself. Open your life up to God through prayer, and he will work in your life in ways that are miraculous. Where you won't even understand it, and all you will have left to do is say, thank you, God, for showing yourself through me, which just generates more prayer. So you won't, you won't turn your back on somebody that's in need because... If you've prayed about it, you know that God loves them and he wants, you, he wants to show that love to them through you. We heard an example this morning of a lady that moved into a, out of a trailer and into a camper because it's all she had and all she could afford. And the thing was not in the best shape and she began to think she made a mistake. And some people showed up and fixed everything in her camper. Why? Because they love her. Well, why do they love her? Because they've been with God and they know that they're supposed to love her. And they, they do love her. And that's what they were missing here. They were missing love. And you know what? It has nothing to do with doubts or fears or failures. Because look at what happens to this guy. The, the father of this guy, of this, of this little boy. Look, look what he says. Verse 19, he replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How, much, how long must I put up with you? Bring him or bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has, uh, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. What kind of answer is that? He says, yeah, I've got some doubts about all of this. And I'm not the most moral, upright person. And I'm not the one that's ceremonially clean like these other guys are saying. And, and I really don't know what I'm doing here other than I know that you can help me. And that's all Jesus needed from him. So don't let your faith 
oh, I just don't have enough faith, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. This man had nothing but a need to be helped by the one that he knew could help. And the love of God poured through his son and said, heal this boy. And so Jesus takes him so that it doesn't become a spectacle. And he puts his hands on him and the, and the spirit shrieks and leaves in a way that they believe the boy is dead. But then once again, this is the fourth time in Mark, Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs the boy by the hand and lifts him up. Restore. What are you wanting from Jesus? If you just want him to fix your problems, Lord, just please fix my problems. Well, I can tell you this. He might just do that, but he just might not. That's really up to him, isn't it? But if you want out of Jesus this, this is where he never fails. If you want out of Jesus this, Lord, show me the Father. Because what did Jesus say about his own glory? It's for him. Show me the Father. Bring me into a life with the Father. And he'll never fail you. And from that comes everything. That comes everything. But if it, if it constantly is about what I'm able to do or what I have been able to do or what I need, that's those places where, Jesus, where the Bible says he just could do this and that, but he couldn't do a lot. If the faith is in Jesus for yourself, it amounts little to nothing. These poor disciples were still believing that they had some kind of uh, power within themselves. They had this prideful notion that because they had been with Jesus, they could do what Jesus did. And the truth of it is, Jesus does what he does because he has been and is with the Father. If you want a life with God, you come to him through Jesus. If you want to live a life like Jesus lived, then you stay in constant prayer with the Father. And when you are in constant prayer with the Father, you discover that his love is for everyone and that he's chosen to use you as a vessel to live it out and to show it to others. And that love, my friends, brings salvation to the world. That is salvation. If there's someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus, you need to find a better way to love them than what you're doing now. Because it's not somebody else's job. 30 years ago, 9 out of 10 believers in a church said, it is my responsibility to share the gospel message with others. Today, it's 4 in 10. Pretty soon, nobody's going to believe that they have any responsibility at all to share the gospel, which means, really, you feel no responsibility to love others. The world is broken because the church doesn't love it. I don't know how else to say that. And the church is you. And the world that's hurting is your neighbor's. Wanting to be with God. Seeking Him out in prayer. Allowing His love to work through you. And allowing that love to bring salvation to the world. It's not a real complicated thing. But we have to decide.
We can be like the disciples and try to do it on our own. Or we can be like Jesus and just let the love of the Father flow through us and offer His salvation to the world. Let's pray. Father, there's so much to be said out of this passage. And you've allowed us a little bit of it this morning. And we thank you for that. And I pray, God, that in some of our hearts today, a hurricane has been stirred up. And we have to to move with it to your presence. That it will pull us along with its strength and power. To open our lives to who we are in you. And, Father, who we can be in you. When our prayers become mighty. Father, in this passage today, it shows how prayers for others are such a powerful thing. The love that we have in us by your hand is such a powerful thing. And we pray, God, now that you will bring that love alive in each and every one of us. That we'll look past our own pride, our own shortcomings, our own definitions of of who we are before you, and we'll just let your love define us. That you will let your love flowing through us define our actions for the needs of others. And Father, we pray that, that through that, people will come near to your heart like ours is near to you through prayer and through service to you. And we can become united as brothers and sisters with one another, uh, not for anything other than for the presence of your love in them. That's what Jesus came to do for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for for giving him to us and for showing us how to live and for giving us the means to live as he lived by opening up the throne room of grace through his blood, through his life, through his love. Guide us to that end. This time in the service is for you. It's for you to to ponder the work that God is doing in your life right now. You may not remember a word that was said here today. But right now you're experiencing all that God has planned for you in this moment. And you need to give Him your due. This is prayer. This moment with Him where He is working in you and stirring in you. And guiding you to a new understanding. That's prayer. Open your life to Him. If you have needs about this. If you have needs in your life where you were saying, I need more prayer in my life. I need more of His love working through me for others. And you need to pray about that right now. I'll be here. Our family care ministers will be here. But begin to work on these things in your life. Look, if you want us to come to you, just raise your hand. But this is a moment of communal relationship with God. So don't let it pass.